Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here, right? Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit. Is that okay? All right. Um, my name's Mitchell. If I don't know you, good morning. If I hadn't seen you yet today, um, I'm our associate pastor of discipleship here at ICC, and I'm really grateful to Barrett and our elder team for um, giving me the opportunity to lead us this morning as we learn from God's word together. Um, that is what we're doing here, right? We're here to hear from God. I told Kirsten, I don't even know what well, she actually, she said, you don't even have to preach anymore after we sang those songs. The worship team basically preached my sermon for me. Uh, seriously though, I mean, don't, don't discount how God speaks through the songs we sing. That's why it matters if you're here versus just listening online. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that, but you're, you're missing out. It's not just about the message, trust me. It's not, yeah, it's a lot more than that. God's doing a lot more here than... Uh, this message. I am thankful to be able to share some things with you this morning. Um, raise your hand if you've been with us in this series so far, Living Loved. Um, well, it's like Living Love, you know, it's in parentheses, or yeah, parentheses, I don't know. Um, the idea behind that, Barrett explained that, Jesus is living love, but we are also living loved. Um, it's been really cool, you know, so we're, 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 walking together through the book of the Song of Solomon. Raise your hand if you had ever studied that book before, showing up. Okay, a few of you, the real ones, you know. Most of us are like, no. I, I kind of skim over that in my Bible reading plan. I'm like, hey, that was weird. Um, I do want to just acknowledge this. Maybe there, maybe there are some of you who this series has just struck a very natural, like artistic, poetic chord in your heart, and if so, we're so happy for you. I know that for many of us, though, uh, it's probably been a bit uncomfortable because we are more academic, intellectual people. We like things that are clear and concrete and fact-based, um, and that's all fine and good. But God doesn't just speak to you the way you like to be spoken to, right? Um, so my encouragement to you is if you're uncomfortable, that's fine, but just hang in there. You know, Keep showing up, keep making yourself available, uh, to how God wants to speak to you. You know, I think it's actually a really good thing to feel challenged and stretched by how God is speaking to us, right? Tim Keller said one time, he said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. <laughs> okay, so I think we do that sometimes because of the kind of people we are, maybe our career fields, the things that are most natural for us, we are biased towards those things. But God wants to speak to us here in his word. God speaks in his word, it never returns void, right? That's what Isaiah 55 says. Like rain and snow falls to the earth, it always does something, right? Rain doesn't fall to the earth pointlessly. It always does something for the earth. The same is true of his word. It always does what he intends. So, you with me? I just want to encourage you. Hang in there. Don't, don't say, oh, it's too emotional or it's too metaphorical or, or whatever, okay? It's okay if you feel those things, but press in, okay? Let's keep pressing in. Listen uh, to what God has for you. Y'all with me? Yeah? 
Not to mention, we can't talk too much about the love of God. I mean, if you read the New Testament, y'all, the New Testament writers were just obsessed with God's love for them and what it meant for their lives. Paul, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, so faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Love is better than faith. (laughs) Love is better than hope because it lasts forever. Faith and hope will end one day. We won't need them anymore, (laughs) but we will always need love. So let's not, you know, there are other examples of that. The Apostle John, right? He's the one whom Jesus loved. It's what he wrote about in his letters. God is love. I mean, we can't, we cannot miss this. Um, This is is huge. We need, we need, each of us needs a deeper understanding of God's love for us. That's, that's just true, you know, myself included. And I'm, that's why I'm grateful for where we've been and where we're going in this series. So we've been like I said, we've been walking through the book of Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs, um, with the help of our, our friend, Julian Hardyman, guy who wrote a book called Jesus Love of My Soul. He's Barrett's pen pal, remember? It's sweet. It's really cool. Uh, seems like a great guy, and we're thankful for him, for his kingdom partnership with us to just uh, bless us and in, in, uh, in this. Uh, so the book is great. I read a chapter of it. In preparation for today, I'll be sharing some things from it actually directly, some quotes. Um, so we've kind of covered a few different themes so far. We've talked about uh, desire, remember? We talked about insecurity. We talked about delight. And last week, Barrett talked about pursuit. And today, we are going to be talking about commitment. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Especially all the men were like, oof, you know. Commitment. Uh, I think we're going to be really blessed by what we what we see here today. But if you if you remember, uh, if you're wondering why why commitment. So if you remember where we were, go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you haven't done that yet to the song chapter two. Uh, Barrett showed us, you know, uh, the bride is talking about her beloved and and or you know so you remember there's a man and a woman in the song right and they kind of go back and forth. And they've been adoring one another, right? It's been kind of this back and forth, like reciprocal adoration that's being expressed. And um, last week we saw she's basically seeing um, her beloved's pursuit of her. You remember that? Like he's, he's looking at her. He's watching her. He's, he, he's, he's coming after her. He's pursuing her seeking her out. And it leads to this moment. We're just going to read two verses today at the end of chapter two, verses 16 and 17. Here's what she says. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Now you may be like, You got commitment from that, okay. Well, we're just gonna walk through it. We're gonna primarily focus on this first statement. I think we're gonna dwell there the longest because I think it's the most important. I think it's the essence of what is being communicated here. But you may ask, yeah, what does this mean? Well, like I said, you know, they've been in this back and forth. The the lovers have been in this back and forth, um, these expressions of love for one another. And this is the first time that we see any expression of commitment, in the book. This will actually, this exact phrase or something very similar will be repeated a few times throughout the book, but this is the first time 
it comes. So it's, it's, it's in essence, especially this first phrase, is an expression of commitment. So if you wanted to put it in uh, modern terms, they kind of had a DTR. Does everybody know what that means? It means define the relationship. Who's ever had a DTR before? Okay, y'all know what's up. So DTR is this thing that happens in a relationship, in a romantic relationship, when you know, maybe you've been interested in someone, they've been interested in you, maybe you've been spending time together talking, and there kind of comes this point where you gotta define the relationship. You gotta, you gotta talk about what is this and where is it going. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying, right? Okay, oh yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> I actually have some personal experience with this, believe it or not. I have some memories of how this played out for Kirsten and I as we were starting to date. So for me, it was pretty simple, right? She's afraid I'm gonna embarrass her. For me, it was pretty simple, right? I had seen her, I'd gotten to know who she was as a person, and I wanted to date her. It was that simple. So I asked her on a date, and we started going on dates. But a few dates in, there was sort of a moment where she kind of jokingly said, so uh, who else are you taking on dates? <laughs> and I was like, what? She said, yeah, anybody else, or? And what I realized was she needed to know from me. Like, was she the only girl I was pursuing? And I said, no, I'm not going on any other dates. I thought that was obvious, but it wasn't because it hadn't been communicated. A few weeks later, we were sitting outside her house and she was kind of like, uh, so, you know, what do you call me when you talk about me? <laughs> like, well, I usually use your name. She's like, yeah, but like, is that it? Just, I'm just, you know, your friend. Like, well, no, you're not just my friend. You know, again, hadn't communicated that. So we had the boyfriend-girlfriend conversation. If, you're, if you haven't dated in a while, there's like a progression, you know? And we're, we're even people, us, like our age, we're probably kind of behind the curve too. But like, you know, you can be like, there's like levels, right? You can be like, you're just talking and then you're dating, I guess. But then you're not boyfriend and girlfriend until you do that, right? And then you're Facebook official and then you're... <laughs> I don't know, it comes, you're like really serious. And then, you know, it's like, there's a lot to it. And I didn't, I've never been great with all that. So for me, it was pretty clear, but she needed to know that for me. So if any of you know much about our story, you know, uh, we, we had a couple of years there, a journey, a dating journey. And then a time came when, well, actually first what I did was I went to my now in-law's house. They're here today, by the way which is really cool. I went over to their house and, and we just sat around for like 30 minutes and we were just making small talk and her mom was like, so did you just come to hang out or what? And I was like, no, no, uh, it's time for me to marry your daughter. I wanted your blessing, you know, uh, and, and that was a great day. But then there was some other, you know, steps. Y'all know there's a whole process to this too. There's a lot. If you ever need guys, you know, need help, let me know. I learned through the process. There's a whole process. I bought a ring and then one day I, I tricked her into going out to Shelby Farms for, uh, to see the sunset. And I had this sweet little picnic set up thanks to a really good friend and um, asked her to marry me. And at that point, she knew like my commitment to her. We weren't married yet. There would still be a few months before our wedding day, but she knew my exclusive commitment to her. 
And that's similar to what's going on in the song here, okay? Uh, There's a wedding that's coming in the book. We're not there yet. But what the woman is saying is she knows, she's got confidence, she's got clarity. Apparently he was a good communicator. She knows what's going on and she knows his commitment to her. She knows he's not pursuing anyone else. She knows he's serious about this. She knows it's going somewhere. So she says, my beloved is mine and I'm his. And if we're honest, Isn't this like what we all long for? (laughs) We all long to know that someone is like committed to me. Y'all know what I mean? Like someone is there with me and for me in the ups, down, highs, lows, good, bad, ugly. Somebody is gonna be there for me, right? Ride or die. All the sixes in the room are like, oh yeah, because you're the loyalist, right? You're like, that's, I love that. We all long for commitment. And I think, I really think it's because we all long for security. We are, we are born with an innate desire for safe, secure relationships with other people. Like, I don't, I don't have to really know anything about you to know that that's true of you because it's true of all of us. You don't just have to take my word for it. There, there's science behind this. There are studies that have been done. I was just reading about one uh, that Harvard, a Harvard study that's been going on for like over 80 years now. They've, they've followed like over a thousand people now, their lives throughout their entire lifespans. And what they're trying to determine is what's the key to like overall health and well-being and long life? And uh, you know what they found? Is it's all about healthy, secure relationships. It's more important than any other health choice someone makes. That's what determines overall health, physical and mental health, and just well-being is safe, secure, healthy, ongoing, committed relationships. That stability and security that that provides is the primary key. Of course, you have to take care of your body, right? There are other things that are part of it, but they said this is more important (laughs) than any other health choice. Isn't it funny how science proves what God already tells us is true? Um, So I don't even have to, like I said, I don't have to know anything about you to say that about you because it's true for all of us. But I also don't know, I have to know anything about you to know this, that throughout your life, you have been let down by people. We've all experienced failed commitments. We've all had people in our lives that we thought had our back and they didn't. So it's probably uh, someone in your family at some point, no matter how great your family is. As you got older, it probably played out with friends, peers, you know. Uh, maybe you, you thought you had a friend group that was committed to you and then something happened and all of a sudden you weren't who they wanted you to be and you didn't fit in anymore. Anybody ever experienced that? <laughs> maybe it was even in a church. You were part of a community of faith that you thought you were really safe in and it turned out that you weren't as much as you thought. If you've ever dated anybody, (laughs) I'd bet money you carry some hurt from that. And I don't have to know much about you either to say that you've been on the other end of this too. We've all hurt others. We've, We've all let others down in our commitments to them. There have been times in our lives where we thought 
Someone was committed. We thought we were safe. We thought there was security and there wasn't. So what happens? Where does that take us? Whatever those life experiences are, where that leads us, the result of that is uh, those things can lead us to a place of insecurity. And I know we already talked about insecurity earlier in the song. That was primarily in the context of like the woman was feeling insecure about her appearance and her desirability to the man. That's not really what I'm talking about here. There are similarities, but I'm really talking about like relational insecurity here. Y'all know what I mean by this? Y'all know what this feels like? Relational insecurity is that feeling that I'm not, sh- I'm not positive if I'm safe, right? Like, um, I'm not sure if I can trust people. I'm not sure if I can be both truly known and loved. I'm afraid that if someone is with me or around me long enough or sees enough of me, eventually they'll turn away and move on. Y'all with me? I know this is deep, but it's real. What does that feel like for you? I want you to think about, I don't, maybe it's a, you know, maybe this is a moment where you can bring to mind specific examples of things in your life. And really what I want, what I want to ask you is how does that, how do you carry that in your life right now? What is that like for you? in your, the relationships in your life right now? What is that weight, that burden that you carry? There's probably fear and anxiety associated with it. Maybe there's loneliness associated with it. Probably a lack of trust, maybe self-protection with people. Maybe there's even a, a, like a form of depression or anger that comes along with that, depending on where you're at in your life. But here's what I wanna say. I wanna say that Those feelings that you have are not wrong. (laughs) They're real. Um, And the truth about those things is that they're an invitation. Every like void we fill in our lives is an invitation for us to look to Jesus. Like every need that we want met in our lives is an invitation to look to Jesus. And I wanna, I, I wanna, I know that sounds good, but I wanna, I wanna show you where this is coming from and I wanna <laughs> invite you to like embrace this. Like even as you're, you're sitting where you are, I don't know where you're at right now, how this plays out in your life. Maybe, um, maybe you're, there's a specific relationship you have in mind that you're struggling to trust. Maybe it's not a relationship, but the lack thereof. <laughs> and you're, you've been hoping like for a long time that someone would come along who would truly commit to you and there would be a sense of security in that, right? None of those are wrong. Maybe you're just frustrated. Maybe you feel jaded because you've been let down by too many people, right? I wanna encourage you, like right where you're at, to see those feelings <laughs> those realities in our lives as an invitation to look to Jesus. And and journey with me today as we look at what this means for us in relationship to Jesus. Y'all with me? Yeah? Okay. So we've said this every week, you know, the Song of Solomon, there's really, there are kind of two layers to the Song of Solomon. It is certainly, very clearly, obviously about marriage. It's about the joy of finding intimacy in the relationship of marriage. 
it's a great thing. If, if, we, if we ever have a question about what God thinks about marriage, it's right here, right? God loves romantic love. He loves marriage. It's his design. We also see here that commitment is good, right? I don't know if that, that needs to be said, but uh, faithfulness and commitment exclusively in marriage is a really good thing. That's being celebrated in this passage. But what we've also been saying is that it's not ultimately what this book is about. If that were true, it would fall short and it would be actually inconsistent with the rest of scripture. If we, if, if the Song of Solomon was trying to teach us that your answer, the answer to your longing for security is marriage, it would be inconsistent with the rest of scripture, Right? Because what you've found, if you've tried that, is that nothing's ever quite enough. If you've ever put your hope in another person to commit to you and make you feel secure and safe in every way, what you found is it just doesn't work. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that. You don't have to be a Christian to know that, (laughs) right? It's just life. You've experienced that. So where, this, where the song is taking us is to see that ultimately everything in this book is really about the joy of finding love and intimacy in relationship with Jesus as the ultimate lover of your soul. So what if we go back to the, uh, that verse in this context? So now we're not just thinking about the man and the woman, we're thinking about this is about Jesus and you, right? Can you say this? Can you read this statement as if it were about Jesus. My beloved is mine and I am his. Jesus is mine and I am his. What does this mean? Well, it's what we already said. It's an expression of commitment in the, in the relationship between Jesus and his people. What a beautiful truth statement, right? We could just meditate on that and call it a day. That's pretty much what we're gonna do. What a beautiful statement. Is there, is there a more beautiful way to sum up the Christian life? <laughs> it's this committed love relationship with Jesus where he belongs to me and I belong to him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he, uh, he actually taught a lot on Song of Solomon and he actually preached apparently eight different sermons on just these two verses. I found some of them and read some of them. It's good stuff. So if I use any old English, you'll know that's why. Um, But he said this. He said, surely if there be a happy verse in the Bible, it's this. He loved this verse. He cherished this verse. He treasured this verse because of what it means for us in relationship to Jesus. If you read Charles Spurgeon's sermons on the Song of Solomon, he doesn't even talk about marriage. He just makes a beeline for Jesus. He saw what we're seeing, what the Spirit is revealing to us in this portion of Scripture. What a beautiful thing to know that there's this expression of commitment between Jesus and me, that there's this language of mutual belonging, right? Jesus belongs to me. I belong to him. This is the only place we will ever find true security is in Jesus's commitment to us. And I know that may be like an obvious statement, but um, I think we need to sit with it today. And we need to consider 
what that means for my life. <laughs> How does this actually play out in my life? Right? It's one thing to say, oh, this is just kind of a feel-good poetic statement about Jesus and me, um, but really, actually, this is grounded in the gospel. <laughs> and I want to show you that. Um, we're just going to walk through this, a two-part statement. We're just going to walk through the two parts of it. Jesus is mine and I'm his, and talk about the, like, the gospel footings of these statements, how we can say these things, how we can know these things, and why they matter. So how can we say that Jesus is mine? Well, first off, uh, Jesus has given himself for me and to me in his love for me. So there's been, there, a choice has been made decisively by Jesus to give himself for me and to me. This is the gospel. It's what we were singing about. Jesus came to give himself out of his love for us as a sacrifice and a substitute for our sin. And so you see this in like a scripture like Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. Ephesians 5 says this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, there's a giving attached to his love for us. Jesus loved you, so he gave himself for you. And he didn't just give himself for you, he's given himself to you. So the purpose of Jesus's work in the gospel is not just to take care of your sin, but ultimately to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. He was making himself available and accessible for a relationship. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has given himself for me and to me. Julian Hardiman in, in his book says this, Christ has committed himself irrevocably to us. In a day when people prefer to say maybe rather than yes or no, this is a bit different, but this is what he has said and done. So we can say, my beloved is mine. He is our savior, our bread of life, our living water, our sacrifice, our atonement, our resurrected giver of new life. Isn't that beautiful? In a day when people prefer to say maybe rather than yes or no, how often do we do that, right? Somebody asks you if you're gonna do something, eh, maybe I'll let you know. And there's nothing wrong with that in a lot of settings, you know, a lot of situations. But we also say maybe to people. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus has said yes to you. We see that in, in the work he's done for us. Jesus has decisively said yes to you. And this is what we all need to know. It's amazing. So he's given himself. That's, that's happened. That's done, right? And Jesus said, it's finished. That's done. He's given himself for me and to me. But presently now, he lives within me by his spirit. So not only do I know what Jesus has done for me, but I know what he can do in me now. All right, we know from scripture that we are filled those who believe in Jesus are filled with his spirit. It's called the spirit of Jesus. Romans 8 says this, the spirit of Christ, right? If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we draw life from the very spirit of Jesus, the same spirit, Romans 8 goes on to say, that raised Jesus from the dead that we were just singing about lives in those who believe in him, who've been brought into relationship with him. That's cool, right? Really cool. This is not a past tense thing. This is a, a present thing. I want to draw you to something. I want to show you something here. In the second half of verse 16, we've only looked at the first half. So there's the expression of commitment. 
My beloved is mine and I am his. And then she says this statement, he grazes among the lilies. When I first read that, I was like, I don't really know what to do with that, right? It's kind of like, sounds like a painting you would see somewhere, Jesus frolicking through a field, right? Um, But as I looked into it, really the language that's used here, and the translation's a little unfortunate, but some some Bibles translate it differently, and even if you're using the ESV, you'll have a little footnote on that word grazes. That word grazes and... and, uh, Really what it means, it's more about shepherding. So the footnote says he pastures his flock. That word, if you look at it throughout the Old Testament, is actually used for a shepherd overseeing his flock. So all of a sudden when I'm thinking, okay, so the woman, she shares this expression of commitment and then, you know how lovers do, she's imagining, well, what's he doing right now? You know, when you're apart from someone you love, you're thinking, what are they doing right now? Well, what are they doing right about now? They're probably getting up, get ready for work, you know? Oh, they're probably, you know, eating lunch now. She's thinking about, well, where is he? Well, he's out pasturing his flock. He's shepherding his flock. To me, what comes to mind, it's, it's Psalm 23. It's actually the same language. That's the same word that is translated here for grazing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Maybe those are the lilies. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He shepherds me. This is, this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in us now is the spirit of Jesus who shepherds us. That's good news. Jesus himself said this, right, in John 10. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They know my voice. I lay down my life for the sheep and no one will ever pluck them out of my hand. We sang that earlier too. Jesus always saw himself as a shepherd and he still is our shepherd that's our present, that's the opportunity we have to have like an abiding committed relationship with Jesus that not only, I don't just have to draw on what I know Jesus has done, I can actually walk with him now. <laughs> he's mine now. Jesus wasn't just mine on the cross, he's mine now through his spirit. It's really cool, right? And then what about the future? Well, one day I will inherit eternal life with him. This is a promise. We, Robbie taught us about this too our inheritance. We have a glorious spiritual inheritance in Christ. Ephesians 1 talks about this and actually says that the spirit that's in us is a guarantee or a down payment of that inheritance. So we know for sure it's coming. Our experience of God right now on earth is just a taste. It's a guarantee that the real thing is coming. So I, I, there's some mystery around exactly what, what this inheritance is like, but I can't imagine it being anything other than just a totally mind-blowing experience of intimacy with Jesus. <laughs> what an inheritance we have. And we're, there's, we get to actually share in Jesus's inheritance. So Romans 8 tells us that, right? We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, right? Remember Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you in my father's house, Right, like when we, when we are with Jesus fully one day, he shares everything with us. First Peter says it like this. He says, uh, we have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is we have nothing but more to look forward to with Jesus. He is, he's mine. He, he, he is decisively given himself for me and to me, and he's mine now, and he will be with me. He, he, he will be mine in eternity. 
fully mine, right? So the bottom line is this, y'all, that past, present, and future, Jesus has fully committed himself to me. Robbie said this earlier, but you know, what it means to be in Christ is that what's true of him is true of me now, right? That's, what, that's part of what we're talking about when we say sharing inheritance. Like, the blessing that Jesus has received from the Father, he shares with us. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, it certainly does seem a great thing to call him mine. To think that he should ever be mine and that all he is and all he has and all he says and all he does and all he ever will be is all mine. When a wife takes a husband to be hers, he becomes all hers. And she reckons that she has no divided possession in him. And it certainly is so with us if we are in Christ. How beautiful is that, right? So y'all, we never have to wonder about the strength or durability of Jesus' commitment to us. There are a few ways that the Bible says it. There, I just picked a couple here. Isaiah uh, 54 says this, you know, the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, God says, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. God has made a covenant with his people. You know, oftentimes in scripture, God's love is, is referred to as steadfast love, loyal love. Think about Lamentations 3. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? We can count on Jesus's commitment to us. We can bank on it. Jeremiah 31 says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. My faithfulness is fueled by my everlasting love for you. He goes on in Jeremiah through the prophet Jeremiah. God makes this promise to his people of a new covenant to come. You may have read that. It's in Hebrews 8 as well. Hebrews 8 is explaining to us that this new covenant is mediated by Jesus. Jesus is the mediator of this new and better covenant. And God says, it, it'll be different. It'll be different from the old covenant because you, I'll put my law in you and you'll have this personal relationship. Each of you will know me personally. And he goes on to say, basically he equates the sturdiness of this covenant to the fixed order of the moon and the stars, you know, the sun, the moon, stars. He says, basically, if those things give out, then maybe my covenant with you will too. It's, it's obvious. <laughs> it's an obvious analogy that it's not going anywhere right? God's covenant with his people is sturdy, and Jesus is the mediator of that covenant. His commitment to us is not going anywhere. <laughs> That's good news, right? We can have confidence in Jesus's commitment to us. It's rock solid. What could be better than this? Spurgeon said, which is the greater miracle, that he should be mine or that I should be his? They, they, go, they work together. They're, they're married together in this beautiful relationship, so that's how Jesus is mine. What does it say, or what does it mean to say that I'm his? Well, first off, he has bought me. We sang about that too. In love, he's bought me. He paid the price for me. Jesus' work on the cross was a payment, right? It's referred to as a ransom. Think about somewhere like 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. Those things are limited and they wear out, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, 
without blemish or spot. The payment for us indicates our value, right? The price paid for us indicates our value. We were of greatest value to God the Father and to Jesus. So he paid the highest price. There was nothing more he could give, but his very blood, his very life. First Corinthians 6 tells us this, you're not your own, you were bought with a price. We are meant to see ourselves as bought, redeemed, bought back from sin and death. This, it's similar to that first point that um, Jesus has given himself for me and to me, but it's specific. It's specific. God, Jesus, in obedience to his father, paid for everything needed to give you right relationship with him, to give you opportunity to have right relationship with him. He's done everything needed. Nothing else is needed. In his commitment to us, he has paid the price for us. So what that means presently is that I'm called to give and live my life solely to him. This is made clear, right, all throughout scripture that God desires his people to be totally devoted to him, right? Think about the greatest commandment, uh, Deuteronomy 6, and Jesus reiterated this, the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And Jesus, he didn't lower the bar, he raised the bar. What did he call his disciples to? He said, you've gotta really deny yourselves, take up a cross and follow me. Right, I'm asking you for everything. If you're, if you're like trying to save your own life, this is not for you, right? Those are the kinds of things he said to his disciples. The bar is high, how could it not be? What kind of lover gives themselves fully to the one they love and doesn't want total devotion in return? But that wouldn't make God a loving God if you didn't care what we did in response to his love. This is why you see in the Old Testament idolatry is such a big deal. And if we're honest, really, our sin is always idolatry because when we sin, we're choosing. We're choosing to give something else a place in our hearts that's made for Jesus, right? Julian Hardiman in his book said it like this. We need to lay this alongside all the competition for the prime place in our lives, Anything that is more important to us than Jesus is an idol sitting on the throne that belongs to him. When we become Christians, we ask him to sit on that throne, but it's not a once for all movement psychologically. It's one we have to repeat regularly through our Christian lives. Our hearts feel the pull of other masters, other beauties, other things, which will, they whisper, satisfy us even more than Jesus. This repeated pattern of dethroning idols needs more than determination or remorse. It needs divine power. But that is what Christ's passion, his exclusive commitment to us gives us. Jesus desires as he's given himself to us fully in loving commitment to us, he desires devotion in return. I mean, how sad would it be to see, you know, a, a wedding and they're saying, I solemnly swear, that's, yeah, what, what do they say? I vow, anyway, <laughs> it's been a while, it's, yeah, I vow, that's not the right, yeah. <laughs> I vow um, to, to stick with you like 75% of the time, right? I, I'll do that. I can do that. There's like negotiation. What about 80? Eh, you know, 75% of the time, you can count on me being there for you. The other 25, 
I kind of want flexibility with that. I'd like to kind of decide if, I don't know, like if you're not meeting a certain need of mine, I'd like to explore other options with the other 25%. How sad of a wedding that would be. That would be evil. <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is this. No true lover wants anything less from the one they love. Right? There's nothing more heartbreaking for a lover than to see the one they love reject their love for something lesser and even something harmful, <laughs> right? Maybe you've experienced that, I don't know. This is why marital faithfulness is so important because it's a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. I know there's, there's, a, there's a lot there, this is, this is huge, right? That this is what God desires for us. This is what Jesus desires. You see this all throughout scripture. I mean, think about um, like the book of Hosea, right? What we see in the book of Hosea is God leads this prophet Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman but continue to pursue her. And this represents God's love for his unfaithful people. And this, this is the key, is that God... God has done this all throughout scripture. Specifically for us, Jesus meets us right where we are in our weakness, in our failure, in our unfaithfulness. And he woos us back with his commitment to us. Who's experienced that? Anybody experienced that before in your life? Him bringing you back to himself. It's actually, it's so ironic that it's actually only by his commitment to us and his abiding presence in our lives through the spirit that we're ever able to fulfill any kind of commitment to him. We're dependent on him even for our own commitment. So even when, even when we're, we're unfaithful to him, he pursues us. You see this I, time and time again. We don't have time. I, I think I need to move on. But I think it, I, I just, I want you to see this. Galatians 2.20, we, we used this verse earlier. We looked at it earlier. Paul just says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not even, he's like, I'm not even alive anymore. <laughs> like myself, like who I used to be. I'm, I'm not even here anymore. It's just Jesus living in me. Anything good in me is a product of Jesus in me, his commitment to me, his presence in me through his spirit. Isn't that amazing? It's all a product of his commitment to us. Okay, last thing. So we see that we've been bought. I'm called to give my life and live my life solely to him. And one day, so this is past, present, future. I hope you're seeing that. One day, I will be fully his. There's, there's a day coming when our hearts won't be divided and broken and prone to wander. <laughs> um, our hearts will no longer be weak in our devotion to Jesus. We will be healed, we'll be whole, uh, and our love relationship with Jesus will be everything. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. Paul is looking towards that day. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, 
Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What a beautiful picture this is. For, <laughs> that there's a day when our relationship with Jesus will never be blurry or dim or confusing. There'll be no distance. We'll be face to face. What a day that will be. This has always been God's vision for his people. He says this throughout scripture. I will be their God. They will be my people. This is what he's always been after. And Jesus has done it. Jesus has made this a reality. That he is our God. We are his people. And one day we will be fully his. I want to draw your attention to verse 17 as we uh, kind of start to turn a corner here. We haven't looked at this verse yet. It's the second verse. It's interesting. Verse 16 is sort of the sunshine. And then in 17, uh, the woman speaking introduces shadows. So, you know, she's just said, my beloved is mine. I'm his, this expression of commitment. He's out pasturing his flock. He's shepherding his flock. That's, he's a shepherd. That's the kind, that's who he is. That's the kind of lover he is. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee. So all of a sudden, like I said, it's, it's been sunshine. All of a sudden she's introducing this shadow. What she's saying is, remember they're, they're committed, but the wedding day has not come yet. So he's not with her, right? She's imagining him. He's out pasturing his flock. So that day has not come yet. They're not fully one yet. So there's still some shadows that linger. And I don't know exactly what they are. You know, maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's just a loneliness or a longing to truly be with her lover. But what she knows is that there, the day is coming. And when the day breaks, the shadows will flee. She's looking. She's hopeful. She's looking towards this day. And so it is with us, right? We live in a world of shadows. <laughs> I don't know if you experienced that. We live in a broken world. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, right? Life is that way sometimes, <laughs> I don't know where you're at, but shadows are real. And we know Jesus' commitment to us, but there's still this distance, right? Because he's not here fully. We're not face to face yet. But our wedding day is coming. We see that. Revelation 19, the Bible essentially ends with a wedding, the marriage supper of the lamb. The bride is ready. Jesus comes for his bride. It's coming, and that day will be glorious and all the shadows will flee. But until then, what does she ask? She says, turn, my beloved. Turn to me, come to me, like one of these mountain animals, you know, that can run all up and down mountains. Nothing can, no obstacle can keep them from where they're going. I can't, she's saying, basically, I can't come to you, right? I can't climb those mountains, <laughs> but you can. You can come to me. This is the same for us. We need him to shepherd us until that day. Because ultimately, y'all, this defines our very existence. This defines me, my belonging to Jesus. Every ounce of my existence, every second of my life, every breath I take belongs to Jesus. If, 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 all, if you believe all these things, how could that not be true? We live in a culture that is like, um, 
resistant to commitment, right? We've talked about that. Um, our culture doesn't value or esteem commitment. You see this all over, you know, watch movies or TV, right? There's always the guy who doesn't want to commit to the girl, right? It's a real thing. We don't like to commit to anything, <laughs> if we're honest. Because we're afraid of committing to the wrong thing or we're afraid of what it might cost us. Jesus uh, accepted all cost in his commitment to us. So how could his commitment to me and therefore my belonging to him, how could that not define my entire life? You know, we can't like categorize our life, you know, to where we have like, like these things belong to me, these things belong to the Lord. That's, that's wrong, <laughs> right? That's not true belonging. If he's bought me, he owns me. And I gladly, I gladly give everything to him. So really the question is, y'all, as we start to get, I want, I want this to get practical. I, there's a lot that could be said about all this, and I know I've said a lot of words, and I want you to hear what God wants to speak to you today, you know. Um, don't hear my fumbling through this. Like, hear God speaking to you. And I think the question is, like, are you living in this commitment? Do you really know the commitment of Jesus to you? Do you live in light of this truth? My beloved is mine and I am his. Does this really mark your life? Do you live in light of that? Another way to ask it would be this, and this gets really practical. Um, where are you looking for security? Those questions I asked earlier about, like, what is it that you're looking to or who is it that you're looking to, right? Maybe it is a person. Maybe it's a, a certain relationship that you, you've put so much pressure on that relationship to, to satisfy your longing for commitment and security that uh, it's harming the relationship <laughs> and, you're, and, you're, and you're just let down. Maybe it's not a relationship. Maybe it is a lack thereof. I said that earlier. You know, maybe it's, the idea or the prospect of a relationship. And, and in your mind, you're thinking, if I could just have that, I would, I would be secure. That's an idol, right? Anything that we say that about in our hearts, we say, if I just had that, if they were just different, or if they showed up, or if they would commit to me, I would be so happy. I could live at peace. That's an idol. And maybe it's not romantic. Maybe it's a, a friend group. Maybe it's your, your children you're looking to uh, for that, for your children to be who you want them to be so that you can feel secure in yourself. Maybe it's um, just your own like success, right? Like you've got to prove something. You've got to reach a certain level of your career. You've got to have a certain amount of money in your bank account. You've got to be able to buy a house. I don't know what it is. Like what is that thing that you're like, that would feel safe to me. That would make me feel safe. It's an idol and it won't, it won't come through. It won't follow through. <laughs> it just won't. Things, things of the world always overpromise and underdeliver. You know, there's a place in Jeremiah chapter two where 
God is, is, it's one of his first kind of words to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, what did I do that you had to leave me, the well of living water, and go dig for yourself these wells that won't even hold water? How's that working out for you? He's like, what did I do? <laughs> Was I unfaithful? Was I not enough? What, what did I do to lead you to go dig your own wells when you could just draw from me? We all do that, y'all. We all, and I think if we look, if we really dig deep, we'll see that. One last way to ask this question in light of verse 17 is this. What are those shadows lingering in your heart and life right now? What are the things, you know what they are. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> you know. What are those areas, those things that you identified earlier? Areas of longing, of discontentment, of insecurity, of fear, of anxiety. Remember what we said, all of those are an invitation to look to Jesus. To say, like the woman in the song, until the day breeze and the shadows flee, right, I am in a, in a valley here, right, there are shadows here, but will you turn, will you come to me, Lord? Like, I need you to shepherd me here. What does Psalm 23 go on to say? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and until then, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, it ends with confidence. I'm, I'm in, I, there are shadows, but until the day breeze and the shadows flee, God, walk with me. <laughs> Jesus, shepherd me in this place. That's my encouragement to you. I, um, I invite you to join me in like praying a prayer like this. Can you pray to Jesus? Like you are mine and I am yours. Maybe this is something you need to pray every day. Thank you for your perfect commitment to me. I know that I'm safe with you. Let this commitment shape me and my entire life <laughs> and shepherd me in your love. Maybe you need to ask him to give you like a fresh experience of his presence and his love and his commitment to you. You know, I just wanna invite you as the, the band comes, we're gonna sing a couple of songs. Um, the first song is about Jesus' love for us. We're gonna sing, I'm loved by you. And you know, sometimes we have to like sing our way into believing things. Maybe you don't feel loved today, that's okay. Um, ask him to help you believe it. I'm loved by you. There's this line in that song in the chorus where, uh, and it was really, it really moved me um, when I first started like listening to that song and singing it. He says, there's no disappointment in your eyes. I don't know like how often you think about this. If you imagine like how Jesus looks at you, I think, I think too often we have this idea that Jesus looks at us like with this like disappointment or frustration or obligation. Like I'm committed to you, so I gotta keep doing this. Like I have to keep, have to keep being here for you. Maybe you've had someone uh, look at you like that before. Um, but Jesus is not like that. He's not just there. <laughs> he's not just there because he's obligated to be there. He's in this relationship with you because he's chosen it. And he's committed to loving you. So he looks at you with love. There's no disappointment in his eyes. And to know that, that changes things. The bridge of the song says you're changing everything. 
you know, when the woman says, until the day breeze and the shadows flee, what I picture is a sunrise. I don't know if you've ever seen a sunrise. Hopefully you have at some point. If you're not a morning person, maybe not often, but we were just out the other morning we, and the sun came up and um, it's a little later now with the time change. So you could catch one. It's about seven o'clock. Um, the sunrise changes everything. And so is the presence of Jesus in our life. It changes everything. It just transforms the entire world. <laughs> That's literally what the sunrise does. It transforms the earth from a dark place to a place of light. And so I just wanna encourage you, wherever you're at, acknowledge where you're at and invite Jesus in. Invite him to meet you with his love to remind you of his commitment and to give you a new experience of his presence. Um, and after we sing this song, we're gonna sing a song about our love for him, our response, our giving of ourselves to him in return. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.